Atamari, welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, Wednesday, the 27th of July. Kornathan Rarere Aho coming up. Our Commonwealth Games athletes prepare for action in the UK. An activist in Florida challenges the Supreme Court by hoping to invoke the name of Satan at his old high school. Wild weather continues to bash Aotearoa this morning and overnight. Dunedin's Mayor joins us today, as does the transport agency Waka Kotahi. And an Australian avocado farmer. He's going to be honest, he says an oversupply of the crop means he needs fellow citizens to help eat through the avalanche of avocados. They used to eat about seven kilos per head, so they are taking it up, but we need them now to eat with both hands. Maria, welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere. Let's begin with our friends across the Tasman in Australia. A lot of famous faces coming back to Ramsey Street uh, as the production of Neighbours comes to an end. I know. Yeah. Amazing thing, it's finishing. Also, Manly's rugby league team split along religious lines, apparently, in a dispute over a gay pride jersey. With me now is our correspondent, Pam Corkery. Morena, Pam, how are you? Maruna, and I have to admit, we'll get onto it in a moment, but I've never watched um, Neighbours. But anyhow, let's go to the league thing first. I think my flatmates did, and, and, I'd, and I'd be like, mm, and leave. And now I regret it because I see all the people that were on. But yeah, this is interesting. This 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 dispute over this manly rugby league jersey. Who had the most famous gay player in rugby league history in Ian Roberts? And now these seven players have gone, no, can't wear it, just can't wear it. And wouldn't you have thought it would be a good idea to get Ian Roberts in Mm. to talk to them before imposing on the players the Pride Rainbow jerseys without first discussing it with them? That was cack-handed. I mean, about half of National Rugby League players in Australia are of Pacific Island heritage, and with it there's their Christianity, good work, missionaries all the way back. So now the churches, as you say, have weighed in. They're finally having their say. Anglican, Catholic bishops back the players. The National Chair of the Assembly of Confessing Congregations. Haven't heard of them. They're right behind them anyhow, and along with the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, you know, group. I mean, what's your thoughts, Nathan? I mean, I understand their religion. I mean, it's been compared with... Israel Folau, but it's nothing like that because he was evil and bitter with it, you know. But and the, no, the, I, 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 yeah, I find it interesting. I, where, I find it interesting where they've drawn the line. They, they've got teammates who have sex outside of uh, marriage. They've had, uh, you know, had teammates that have beaten partners that have been in fights like those. They they play with a giant gambling logo on the front of their jersey. Uh, but apparently, this we've got to draw the line here. This is it. And and I'm thinking, I, I really feel sorry for anyone in their extended family that, that's far for Finney, you know? Like, how are they supposed to feel? Well, look, we are as one, and I'm glad you put it so well, um, because, you know, sexuality among many Pacific communities has been way fluid yes. long before the missionaries got in, you know, and I, I believe, you know, the Pacifica people, they need to be proud of that mm. queerness in their past. So... I don't know what the hell's going on, but I think your first statement about Ian Roberts, and he has written a column overnight saying, I am very hurt, very angry with the players, but we've got to move on, let's 
chat and he's willing to go and talk with them. Let's just keep the love going. And, you know, I mean, I just don't know where this has all come from, I really. Just, I, I, frankly, I just think they're just hiding behind it as an excuse to be homophobic. That's it. So anyway. Well, uh, yeah, let, that's yeah. a very simple, straightforward one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, but let's move to things. Federal Parliament, uh, a record number of Indigenous people. Now, members, how, how many are there? Eleven. It's beautiful. The highest number of Indigenous people by about nine, I think, um, an increase of nine. And also yesterday, the new parliament opened with the smoking ceremony. I mean, all uh, all the rigmarole, it was beautiful before the new parliamentarians sat for the first time. I've been at a smoking ceremony for a mate's wedding. It's lovely. Mm. Um, this is massive, given that until now, the governments have rejected calls to even have the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander as flags in the par- inside the parliament building behind the maid podium, that sort of thing. It's just beautiful. And just a brief thing, so I just wanted to mark it because it is so important. Remember we talked about the $25 million flag that was going up on the Sydney Harbour Bridge? Yes, yes. That, yes, yeah. Well, they've chucked that one out and they've, they've whipped down the New South Wales flag and put the Indigenous one up there, no expense at all. Oh, Good perfect. idea. That's great. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting one. I want to know about this because this makes we wonder what's going on over here. Kmart and Bunnings in Australia have come under spotlight for their use of facial recognition software. Pray tell. We have it actually in the Woolies here, but good on consumer group Choice, who found out about this last month, and it's controversial technology, it's dodgy, um, and it's got a lot of support from a lot of Australian shoppers now that they found out they were facing uh, you know, this kind of recognition. So the use of them has been paused while the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner um, consider judge a complaint made by Choice, which is like Consumer Magazine over here. And it will be a landmark decision if they decide that the Privacy Act has been breached. And the companies are whining, saying we have customers, you know, come in, they're pulling weapons, spitting or throwing punches, you know, and we need to know if they're coming in again. Just get a lot of security guards with pics of them. You can employ That's people. all you need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do yeah. that one. Yeah. Now, do that one. It's, I don't know if this is going to be a very sad moment all around Australia. I don't know, the nation thrown into chaos as Neighbours comes towards its last episode. to see Margot Robbie has joined um, Neighbours, which makes me regret that I didn't watch Neighbours earlier. Um, tell me about this. There's been there's actually quite a few people that have launched a Hollywood career out of this show. Absolutely. I mean, this thing aired in 1985 and the fictional suburb of Erinsborough, so I understand. It was cancelled earlier this year when Channel 5 in Britain said it won't be showing it over there. So it, it will be on tomorrow night. <laughs> There'll be a 90-minute special after the, sh- after the show. So mm-hmm. as you say, many famous people, um, Margot Robbie, Kylie Minogue, Jason Donovan, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, Delta Goodrum. Oh. And so, yeah, yeah they've I mean, gone so, right, haven't they? Yeah, they've done a right out of it, so it has launched their careers. It's sad because these soap operas actually train a lot of people and introduce them. But I will watch. But after the league, this is the second most um, important story across the news system in the past week. Unbelievable. (laughs) 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 Well, things are horrible and people are looking for all sorts of things to look for, perhaps. that We certainly are. are. Hey, Pam, thank you very much for your time. As always, uh, out of Australia. That is Pam 
Corkery, it is 13 past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. Pope Francis has asked for forgiveness from the survivors of Canada's Catholic-run Indigenous residential schools. The pontiff is in Canada to apologise for the church's role in the abuse and also the death of thousands of Indigenous children between the 1870s and the 1990s. The BBC's Alim Makbul has this report. This is no ordinary celebratory foreign trip by the Pope. It started beside the graves of children and is entirely focused on saying sorry for the part the Catholic Church played in the oppression and abuse of indigenous children in Canada, thousands of whom died. As recently as the 1990s, Canada separated native children from their families and forced them into residential schools often run by the church, where they were made to forget their culture and where abuse was widespread. Many survivors of the schools had tussled with whether to come to see Pope Francis at all, given the way they'd suffered. How come it took so long? Now our people suffered... uh, for years, uh, and still suffering because of our, you know, where and what happened and how they're dealing with it. But when it came, the Pope's apology was unequivocal. Pido perdón. Sorry for the ways in which, regrettably, many Christians supported the colonizing mentality of the powers that oppressed the indigenous peoples. I am sorry. I ask forgiveness. Some said they felt relief from the Pope's long-awaited apology or that they felt their story had been heard by the non-Indigenous world. The doors open and there's just a plain load of children and they're sitting on the floor. Some, like Edna, feel triggered by reminders of the abuse. She was snatched from her family at the age of six. Only later in life I started really thinking about me as a survivor. What did I survive? What did my experiences in, involve? And um, to continue to move forward. Sure, the apologies were made, which were fine, but those are words. In an unscripted moment, a woman approached the Pope singing the Canadian national anthem in the Cree language, crying. As positive a step as it might be, the Pope's visit is bringing a lot of pain to the surface. That was Ali Makbul reporting. 16 minutes past five, you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National to the Middle East. We hear where the last country of the Arab Spring is about to revert back to authoritarian rule. Joining me from Doha is our correspondent, Alex Baird. Morena, Alex. Morena, Nathan. Okay, so there's been a constitutional referendum vote here in Tunisia, I see. What's the reason for the vote and, and what are the implications of it? Yeah, so as you mentioned, it's important to, to note that Tunisia was really where the Arab Spring began back in 2011, where basically you had this movement through the Middle East of a bunch of authoritarian regimes crumbling. And it kind of looks like this. at the same time, it's going to be Tunisia where the Arab Spring is going to finally die. So Tunisia's president, um, in the not-so-recent past, basically seized a bunch of powers. So he seized emergency powers over the judiciary, he dismissed parliament, he fired dozens and dozens of judges, 
So he's exercised a lot of very intense control over all elements of power in Tunisia. But in terms of the constitution, this wasn't necessarily part of his role. So he decided to draft a brand new constitution to basically make the president the, the head of everything. The, power, the president was the head of the judiciary, the head of the legislature, the head of the executive. Every part of government, all the checks and balances basically come to the president. So there have been a number of boycotts of this. And it all came to a vote on Monday. And only 27.5% of eligible voters actually turned up. And that's because all of these uh, opposition parties boycotted this vote. They said, you know, this is absolutely outrageous. The Electoral Commission has people running it that are backed by the president as well. So they basically said, you know, it doesn't matter if we vote. It's going to end up being a yes vote. Even if we abstain, it'll be a yes vote. Uh, And 90% of people who voted in that referendum voted to change the constitution to give the president all these new powers. So basically, you're seeing uh, Tunisia slide towards one man rule. It was interesting. I spoke to a Tunisian man today here in Doha, actually. And it does look like he's got a bit of support, the president. They see him as cleaning up the political establishment in Tunisia, this kind of Trump-esque concept of draining the swamp. But, you know, once you give someone these sorts of powers, they, mm, it doesn't generally go fairly well when you look at recent history. No. Hey, I, I, in Christchurch here in New Zealand, they've okayed the build of a stadium and people have freaked out a bit about how much it costs, um, which is quite, I find this interesting compared to the next thing. Saudis, they're about to drop $1 trillion on a mirrored skyscraper that is 120 kilometres long. Yeah. Why? What is it? How do, Why does a building need to be that long? Uh, well, yeah, we, we have issues in New Zealand with even getting a little stadium off the ground. Now, here you're talking about basically this, uh, this huge building. It's going to be a 120 kilometre long mirrored skyscraper. So if you imagine a skyscraper <laughs> but fallen on its side, it'll be two of these buildings. They'll be covered in reflective glass. Um, they're going to house, uh, I think it was around 5 million people. And there'll be a train that you will get you from one end to the other in, in just 20 minutes. Now, I don't... I think this is a bit of a passion project for the <laughs> de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Now, his whole idea of this is a place called Neon. It's going to be a zero-carbon smart city. And um, to build the entire thing, as well as these buildings, it's going to be an extra $500 billion on top of that $1 trillion. And it's going to be around the same size when it's all built as the U.S. US state of Massachusetts. Um, so it's when you actually, I, I tell everyone, go and look up these pictures if you have access to the internet, because they're absolutely bizarre. You can just imagine wide-open desert and then suddenly plonked in the middle of it, basically with, you know, very little, nothing else really nearby, just hilly desert. Plonked in the middle are these two massive mirror-covered buildings. It's bizarre. It's, honestly, it's absolutely bizarre. But so, I, I'm kind of here for it at the same time. Yeah, same. So what I've got here, if you want to um, Google that and have a look, just use the words the mirror line, and that seems to be where all the stories uh, are popping up about this. Alex Beard, thank you very much for your time. 120 kilometres long when I first I was thinking it can't be tall. Is it a side scraper or a skyscraper? Anyway, 120 k's long. Have a look for it. The mirror line.
20, uh, 20 past five, we'll call it. I'm Nathan Raddaday here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we we'll go inside New Zealand's Commonwealth Games gymnastics team and avocado overload. Why the Aussies have 22 each to eight and why they don't want any of ours. A social activist in the US state of Florida is challenging a recent Supreme Court ruling which allowed a high school coach to conduct a Christian prayer service during a football match. Chaz Stevens says the ruling goes against the well-established notion of the separation of church and state, so he's offering to conduct a prayer of his own, invoking the name of Satan at his old high school in the Florida town of Deerfield Beach. He asked them for permission to do so, so naturally I asked what the response from the school had been. Um, stone cold silence and or ignoring. So, uh, status quo for me. <laughs> Can you see, like, have they read the email yet or have they seen it or are they just, do you just think that they're ignoring it altogether? I asked in April, I asked all 63 school districts to ban the Bible here in Florida. The GOP, the Florida Republicans have put the libraries, school libraries on a, on a diet. They've, uh, are pulling books out of the library. So I asked them to, uh, take the box of Krispy Kreme. So take the Bible out. Uh, 63 school systems ignored me. So, uh, it's, it's typical of that. Uh, here at Deerfield beach, they haven't said a word to me. I have filed a public records request. We call it freedom of information act asking for the docs yet to hear back so look just explain it for us here tell us about your church the mount jab church of mars that's that that sounds cool doesn't it it does um so <laughs> so any any listen somebody just the just uh, just referred to me as the first martian minister and i'm thinking <laughs> those words have never been spoken before in the history of you and i forever been around right so that's actually cool you know elon musk might be landing in mars but i'm there first so welcome <laughs> aboard elon uh contribute contribute a trillion dollars to my church and thank you very much listen I have a 20-year history, a track record of doing this stuff. Church of Mars is just yet another idea of snark and art trying to expose hypocrisy. The Chaz formula is simple. I find hypocrisy and bureaucracy. I flip flip the script on itself, and then I... I sick bureaucracy on itself, twisting them all up in knots, trying to uh, trying to ignore me or, or fulfill my request. How important for everyday life in America is the tradition of the separation of church and state? The First Amendment is four pieces, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, right to assembly, and then the right to redress your grievances against the government and not get waterboarded. We went to lots of wars. You all joined us, right? We went and kicked some Nazi ass. And um, the, the the Supreme Court is just turning this stuff on its head. It's just nuts what's going on. The First Amendment, we, we wrap ourselves in the flag. We proudly wrap ourselves in an American, you know, American flag made in China. But we seem to forget why my uncle who went and went with Patton in World War II and fought to beat the Nazis. What's that all about? And for me, for me, it's all about the. It's for me, it's about stretching the very fabric of the of the First Amendment. Yeah, it, I mean, it is chess. It is strange to see all the things that you've just laid out. The fact that America was like, you know, we're going to go and smash the Nazis, and then come with us because we're the way to do democracy properly. What do you think that does to America's reputation around the world? Have you got any idea of how the rest of the world looks at you guys at the moment? I would think that you all sort of are scratching your heads. And you know Ronald Reagan, who I was not a fan of, but he would say, you know, we were the we were that shining star on the hill, right? 
America can do some really cool stuff. And then we turn around and do all this boneheaded stuff. We, 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 we sacrifice our children in the name of the gun gods. And here in Florida, we're, we're running towards author, authoritarianism. Y'all have to wonder what's going on over there, like we're on some bad acid trip or something. Yeah, but that Supreme Court ruling, what do you think it means for those of us that don't live in the United States? They opened the door. I hope that they give me a fair shake. The 14th Amendment that probably you all don't know about, it says it's equal process, equal due process under the law. So what's fair for me should be fair for you. So if they're going to allow some fella, guy or girl on the field to give a Christian invocation, uh, then the fellow from the Church of Mars should be allowed to, to stand up and say, hey, my time, and, uh, and there we go, or somebody from Islam. Could you imagine that? Oh my God, heads would blow up here in Florida if somebody got down on their prayer carpet and did whatever they're going to do. They don't think this stuff through, but then again, we're Florida, so if, if you've never been to Florida before, you know, welcome aboard, it's really weird. That was Chaz Stevens. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yes, indeedy. Uh, This is the day of our life we call the 27th of July. We're going to start on the arts and culture desk today. And can you give me the music, please, Katrina? Oh, yeah. Because on this day in 1984, a little movie called Purple Rain hit the theatres. And like all great films, the critics went, No, terrible, hate it, hate it, worst film I've ever seen. The budget was 7.2 million. In your face, critics. It brought in 72 mil at the uh, box office. Soundtrack of the film sold over 24 million copies worldwide, and they won Oscars out of it, so there you go. On this day in 1940, it was a really um, interesting day for animation. So it's the first time that the director, Tex Avery, introduced this character into a, a cartoon called A Wild Hare, and the character's name was Bugs Bunny. And it was the debut of Mel Blanc voicing that character. Of course, he voice to all of them eventually and uh, the first time that he used the saying what's up doc so there you go. Uh, let's talk about inventions that were hatched on this day or patented I should say on this day in 1869 Amos Tyler went that? and they went what is gum why would I what is this white resin and olive oil he goes well I call it chewing gum what do you do with it I just chew it do you eat it no and then what do I do? Well, I don't know, just stick it under a desk. So there you go, um, that was patented on this day in 1869. If we have a look at birthdays on this day, golf man, Jordan Spieth is 29 years old, baseball man, Alex Rodriguez is 47 years old today, actress, Maya Rudolph is 50 years old today. Can't forget it was ba- uh, Kate Beckinsale's birthday, uh, sales birthday to everybody. And also, happy 53rd birthday, Jonty Rhodes, who I was thinking before, the cricketer Jonty Rhodes, I kind of thought, before Charlize Theron came along, was he widely regarded as the most popular South African in the world? I think so. Jonty Rhodes? Yeah, yeah. Probably, oh, there was, yeah, Nelson Mandela was between them, obviously. But I'd say, Jonty Rhodes. I don't think anyone disliked Jonty Rhodes in the sporting world. There we go. It's half past five. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Don't know if you ever saw Nelson Mandela fielding at point, though, quite the same way. Uh, joining us uh, from now from the business team is Nicholas Poynton. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. He'd, he'd really dive at full stretch, though, I'd imagine, for every ball, Nelson. <laughs> hey, he'd give it everything. I just can't believe you glossed over him amongst, you know, famous South Africans. Yeah, but... 
That's just thinking. <laughs> um, there's plenty to talk about in the business world today. Where do you want to go? This investment survey? Well, look, the, the, the floor is yours. You set the scene and okay. I'll talk about Tell it. Tell me about the investment survey. What have we got here? Yeah, this is, look, in a weird way, it doesn't tell us anything new. It just gives us new figures to sort of highlight maybe how bad things are looking. But this is from the Kiwi fund manager, the Kiwi investment firm that is uh, Kiwi Wealth, formerly... or. It's currently owned by Kiwi Bank. It's currently on the sales block at the moment. But its latest annual invest uh, annual survey of investor sentiment shows confidence is waning in the face of strong inflation, rising interest rates, and wobbly investment markets. We've been seeing that all year. But the number of people feeling less wealthy in the survey that's risen to 37% from 25% last year. While confidence in the economy's outlook that's fallen sharply from about 70 percent a year ago to about 50 percent and the reason why this is interesting is because so much of economics can be down to how people feel if people aren't feeling wealthy they're probably less likely to go out and spend and a large part of our economy is relies on people buying stuff Hmm. and that sort of discretionary spending so if that's not necessarily happening it points to maybe some headwinds for our our, our economy growth in the months ahead but for all that pessimism Kiwi Wealth chief chief executive says people have not turned their back on saving uh, so which is an encouraging sign that you know despite all the the doom and gloom we're hearing in parts of the economy that people still have their priorities their eyes on the prize you know you've got to savings not something you can really uh, tune in and out of it's something you've got to be thinking about long term yeah. you know thinking decades in advance mind you I mean I mean, things are expensive, right? So that's why people think, oh, maybe now I won't buy that thing. So perhaps that's what, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's, that's why that it all, drops that, off. That all, that, like, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's all, that all feeds into it, right? Uh, hmm. It's interesting, you know, I know people who work in what we would say luxury retail. Hmm. And I was speaking to someone who works as a luxury car dealer who told me in the June quarter they had their best quarter from two to three, in two to three years. Hmm. And it just shows you at that top end, that high discretionary spending, you know, luxury motor vehicles, they're inflation proof. Yeah. But when you hear about that, you just think about how disconnected that is from the large waves of people who are really feeling the pinch just from going to the supermarket every week. Exactly. Who can't afford to, who can't even afford to fill up their cars. So, um, you know, keep an eye on that. I think that's an interesting part of the economy. What's happening to those people at the top end? And it shows that. They don't feel the effects of it. No, they're feeling fine. Swanning off to Hawaii and all sorts. Thank you very much. Uh, You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Let's go to your midweek money market now. Your New Zealand dollar is buying the following things. 62.42 US cents, 89.75 Australian cents, 61.65 Euro cents, 51.83 British pence, 4.22 yuan, 85.27 Japanese yen, 37.78 Russian rubles, you keep it up, and 1.122 uh, a Reuben Flor- Florence. It's a good place to get them. Well, across the Tasman, avocado growers have united in a call to their country folk, eat avos for Australia. Uh, a new report by Agribusiness Bank Rabobank has found that the country's growers will likely produce 22 avocados per Australian this year, which is up more than a quarter on 2021. And as it's New Zealand's biggest avocado market, the Aussie avo overload might have a big impact here too. I discussed this with avocado grower and Avocados Australia chairman Jim Kochi from his orchard in far north Queensland, and I asked, why have you got so many avos? Why? Because everyone's planted more because things were so good a few years ago, 
crops were so bad, uh, the growers just thought they would try their hand at growing avocados. Right. And then avocado orchards pop up everywhere. So you've just got, what, a, a massive oversupply of them at the moment then? Yes. And because they're a tree crop, that will continue on into the future because, the, you know, these trees are going to be in the ground for many years, you know, 10, 20, 30 years yeah. or more. And and what can you, you know, the whole world is having a hard time moving stuff around at the moment. Is that affecting you guys there in Australia? It is. Internally in the country, it's difficult, but it's not nowhere near as difficult as trying to move them offshore, you know, with the lack of shipping and uh, containers and that sort of business. I mean, your industry there would uh, be very familiar with that, I'd imagine. Because I, I was thinking, this is great. Well, I'm going to get Jim on the line. I'm going to go, Jim, I'm here to rescue you. I'm pretty sure me and my wife can eat at least half of that avocado crop by ourselves, if you give us a maybe a long weekend. Uh, but what you're saying, to, is it, it's hard for me to get them, though, is it? Well, well, we can't. Australia cannot export avocados to New Zealand because we have, it's a biosecurity thing. We have a, a bug over here called Queensland fruit fly, yeah. and you don't. Oh, okay. And, and so you don't want it. Okay, so can't help you out that way. I mean, well, well, what does it mean then for your for your crop this year? Will you be able to sell all of it? Uh, I was able to place all of my crop, but the price was dreadful. How, how, what is? What, excuse so, me. What is the price of avocado there in Australia? Well, to give you an idea, hmm. I, I did some comparisons. As of la- the same week, which was last week in July hmm. in 2019, the retail price was somewhere between $2.50 and $3.50. That's on the stores, on the shelf. Yeah. This year, it's a dollar to a dollar twenty-five. Oh heck! So that I mean, what and what does that do for you for your forecasts of looking forward then? Because what you've had about a, what at least a fifty percent drop in your income out of that. That's right. And not only that, but we have, you know, significant increases in cost of fuel, which is transport, because to give you some indication, for me to send my avocados to Melbourne is a 4,000 kilometre road trip. So it's a very long drive. And even to Brisbane is, you know, 2,200 kilometres to go to Brisbane. Oh boy, that that really get, I mean that's that's got you in a real bind. I mean, Australians are they? Are, you know, do they eat a lot of avocados? Yeah, they used to eat about seven kilos per head. It's risen higher. We, I'm not quite sure of the figure now, but it's probably heading you know up into the high three kilos, three four kilos per head. Yeah. So they are they are taking it up, but we need them now to. Eat with both hands. <laughs> so give me, okay, give me, what is your never fail, what's the, the gym coach you never fail, I want to eat avocados with both hands, way to eat avocados. What do you like? How do you do it? Uh, oh, look, very simple, uh, a guacamole. Yeah. Just spoon it out into a bowl, whisk it with a knife, and uh, and sort of break it up into really small, chunky pieces. Yeah. Add a dollop of fresh yogurt in it to uh, give it a bit of a sharper taste, and then add whatever you want, salt, pepper, a bit of lemon juice or vinegar, a bit of um, hot chilli, a couple of drops of Tabasco, if you like, hot. That's it. I like that. Our our producer, Matthew, who's one of the millennials who love theirs, he says he likes his mashed avocado with thickly buttered brown toast with salt and plenty of Tabasco sauce. It's the greatest snack on earth, is what he says here. Does that make you happy hearing that? 
Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, you know, for the, for the children thing, when my kids were growing up, would have been a, um, a you know, a smear of uh, Vegemite on toast <laughs> and then some slices or smashed avocado on top. That was it. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so Jim, I mean, as you look forward, you like you say, you've got a whole lot more competition. You've got all these um, orchards around that have popped up. Right now, it's a very hard time to sell things. How are you going to get through this next year then? With difficulty, we have two markets open to us. It's our domestic market. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, because we are quite close to Southeast Asia, is to is to look for opportunities where we can move some product into Southeast Asia mm-hmm. as exports. And we haven't had to do that in the past because we were happy just supplying our domestic market with the assistance of, you know, of many thousands of tonnes coming from New Zealand to January period. Oh, wow. And that's, that's going to be cause a complication now with uh, those markets for New Zealand because that was quite a, a big chunk of volume coming straight across the ditch over to Australia because Australia now will have enough fruit to supply itself without having any more imports coming into the country. Oh, boy. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a, a tough year for you, Jim. I'd, look, we, we send you all our best here from New Zealand to you there in far north, far north Queensland. Um, I hope it works out for you, and I hope the locals, are just, I hope they're, like you say, both hands. Both hands, and if they're clever enough, they can use their feet as well to eat some Man, I just, I'd just like to say that it's terrible here. You know, I'm freezing cold. It's <laughs> 27 degrees in oh. Cairns, and it's 20... And it's 20, 21 degrees up here on the Atherton table and with a wind chill factor has probably dropped it down to about 20.5. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, same. It's terrible. It's terrible. Australian Avocados chairman and uh, weatherman, Jim Kochi. Yeah, it's 19 to 6, and Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Um, obviously, lovely weather there in Queensland. Not quite the same for the South Island at all. So Dunedin's Mayor Aaron Hawkins is with us shortly to talk about the wild weather, and also we'll have a look at your roading as well with Waka Kotahi, which is, of course, New Zealand's transport agency. <laughs> Let's talk to the professionals of RNZ, the Morning Report team. It's Susie Ferguson, who is with us today. Kia ora, how are you? Oh, kia ora, I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty, I got my booster, second booster yesterday, so I woke up this morning a little bit, a little bit, you uh, know what I mean? Just a little, uh, little, bit, little bit brain delayed with the mouth, but I'm feeling okay otherwise. <laughs> what, what, if, so if that happened because of the booster yesterday, why does that happen to me every day? <laughs> well, we're just boosting all the time. Oh, okay. That's what it is, yeah. What do you got? What do you got today? Well, we're going to be talking about this weather. Honestly, mm. the weather, uh, the rain particularly seems to have been lashing down south Dunedin Christchurch way. Uh, but we will be bringing you the very latest about this storm that has been sweeping across the country. Also, Parliament, of course, back after the winter recess. Uh, we'll be talking to Christopher Luxon this morning. Uh, he's been away in Hawaii when his social media seemed to suggest that he was in Tapuki. So we'll be talking oh, about that. It's easy to getting confused. Well, yeah, I've never been to either, so I suppose there may well be similarities. I've seen um, pineapple in the Foursquare at Tapuki, so you can... Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Same, same. Um, Also, we'll be talking about more 
helipads being approved for Great Barrier and Waiheke Islands. This is despite some com- considerable community opposition there. And also, uh, babies who eat vegetables as their first food rather than fruit develop a love of veggies throughout their childhood. That's okay. the way to do it, apparently. We'll be talking to uh, Dr. Jeanette Rapson, who has been researching this area and uh, has come up with the plan. Oh, it's I all know. coming up after six. I've got a veggie versus fruit fight happening. Glenn's going to be interesting <laughs> on Friday. We'll get there. Thank you uh, so much, Susie Ferguson. Male gymnasts continue to outnumber their female peers in New Zealand teams selected for pinnacle events. Junior gymnastics dominated by girls, but a higher percentage of the boys get a shot at the elite level. New Zealand is sending five male artistic gymnasts and two female rhythmic gymnasts to the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. And as Felicity Reid reports, those involved in the sport don't see the disparity changing in a hurry. Physique and ingrained training methods are behind why more men than women gymnasts represent New Zealand. That is the opinion of former Olympian-turned-coach David Phillips. Historically, men have peaked physically and, and in a performance sense when they're adults. And so their experience as younger athletes is historically a bit more relaxed and they, they've been afforded the time to develop. And then at the time that they're reaching their physical maturity, conveniently that's when they're uh, peaking as, as international athletes as well. Gymnastics New Zealand came under fire in a 2021 review which highlighted the mistreatment of athletes. Phillips acknowledged there is now a shift in the way Gymnastics New Zealand and coaches approached the development and support of female athletes. But he says it could be years until the changes produced New Zealand representatives. There are a whole lot of junior female athletes out there with lots of talent. So the challenge that we have is to try and retain them through into that elite space. I'm just trying to figure out what are the challenges that the athletes are facing and what are some of the drivers for them to leaving the sport and to see if the sport can make some adjustment because it is a shame for them to train so many hours and be so good at a junior level but not continue in the sport into that senior space. One athlete who has been a stalwart of New Zealand's senior ranks for more than half his life is Misha Kudinov. Birmingham will be a record fifth Commonwealth Games appearance for the 30-year-old, having first competed there when he was 14. Kudinov says his own history in the sport has influenced the way he trains independently with the help of technology, and Phillips is more of a consultant than a traditional coach. When I was growing up, my father was my coach. So your father's around you in the house, he's around you in the gym. It, it gets it gets too much, so you kind of, maybe naturally I developed in that way because dad is always around and I wanted some of my own space. Now a third-generation coach himself and a father to a one-year-old daughter, Kurdinov has clarity about what it means to be a coach in a sport that is changing. Kurdinov leads the men's program at TriStar Gymnastics and coaches two of his Birmingham teammates, Sam Dick and William Fuellen. The role of a coach is to tailor-make the advice and the training program depending on the athletes. No two bodies are the same, no two people are alike mentally, so it's just about getting to know the athletes individually and uh, creating that relationship. For all that the two-time Olympian has learnt in gymnastics, he says he's having more fun now than when he was a junior athlete. I'm enjoying the challenge of learning new skills. In gymnastics, there's six pieces of apparatus and each one with hundreds, hundreds of possible skills. And of course, uh, it gets extremely difficult. So I, I like the thrill of chasing a challenge and figuring out the puzzle. How, how can I make those things happen with my body? As Kudinov enters the twilight of his gymnastics career, he's hoping the changing path ways at Gymnastics New Zealand allow more athletes of both genders 
to follow in his footsteps. And we'll be hearing more from Felicity Reid while she's in Birmingham. It's 10 to 6. The wild weather has been absolutely hammering the South Island. In Dunedin, it's been bad enough for the army to go on standby, uh, should its help be needed. Further north, more than 70 millimetres of rain fell on Christchurch in just 24 hours yesterday, overflowing the Avon and also the Heathcote rivers. Uh, some Christchurch residents say it's the worst flooding that they've seen in over a decade. Uh, so residents of Canterbury and Otago are being warned of more rain to come today. So uh, join us now from the front line is the Mayor of Dunedin. It's Aaron Hawkins. Kia ora, Aaron. Kia ora, good morning. Um, tell me, what are the areas that have been worst impacted at this point that you know of? The areas that were causing us the most concern yesterday were the uh, the Leith, the water of Leith running through the university uh, and uh, Lindsay Creek in the Northeast Valley. Uh, thankfully, the rain uh, tapered off a bit overnight, and both of those um, both of those water bodies have uh, have gone down. And and the uh, the the people that we evacuated, we evacuated roughly thirty five properties as a precaution last night. And in fact. Uh, there's been no further evacuations overnight, and in fact, it's safe for those people to go back to go back home. So, uh, there's still more more rain to come, and we're, we're keeping an eye on a mm. couple of rivers, the Tyre and the Waikawaiti. But uh, things things seem to be um, things seem to have done overnight, thankfully. Yeah, but that, I mean that, that's good to hear that they can head back home. And I know that you know when you get drenched, you do get a lot of areas where we you just worry about the stability of the land or anything like that. So, are there any particular areas you you're you are concentrating on in this coming day, just to you know to keep an eye on? We haven't seen significant issues across the city, which is good. I mean, there will always be a localised uh, ponding uh, and surface flooding uh, in in some areas, and, and there will be. Uh, there will be slips, and, and our transport team will be out at first light, uh, looking across the city and, and seeing and seeing where the damage is. But we seem to have uh, we seem to have uh, avoided any significant issues at this point. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, what about power outages? That's always something that people look for. Hmm. Uh, nothing. Nothing I'm aware of. That's great. This is well, this is this. Gee, it sounds like it's great here as we go there. So, um, so there's no areas completely cut off or anything like that. It all seems pretty pretty good access for you today. Yeah, no areas completely cut off. I mean, it's still raining, and yeah. we're we're expecting uh, a bit more rain over the course of the day. So let's not get too carried away here, and, and we'll keep a uh, keeping a watching and brief on 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 some of those rivers and the outlying townships in particular, um, but. Uh, but overnight, uh, we seem to have dodged a bullet there. Yeah, you do, which is great. Now, I know um, I mentioned in the intro there, the Army's gone on standby. So would you be hoping to send them home later today? Always helpful uh, to have the support of the Defence Force, but uh, we haven't required we haven't required them uh, up to this point. But it's, it's helpful to know that they are there if, if we need their support. Yeah, wonderful. Well, um, look, uh, Mayor Hawkins, thank you very much uh, for your time uh, this morning. The Mayor of Dunedin there, Aaron Hawkins. That's good. I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, obviously, uh, there were people evacuated from their homes, uh, which is not a good thing, but nice to hear that they can head back. Uh, So that was the situation around Dunedin City. On the situation on our roads now, we're going to jump over and be joined by Waka Kotahi, New Zealand Transport Agency Transport Systems Manager, Mark Owen. Kia ora, Mark. Good, Nathan. How are you? I'm very good. Um, give us a look here. How are we looking as far as road closures or, you know, where is it worse? 
Uh, well, I think one thing to sum it up would be say it's been very, very wet right across New Zealand. So we've got uh, road closures in the North Island, uh, Stato 25 north of Coromandel. We've got Stato 54 uh, between Fielding and the Vinegar Hill. And we've got other areas that are quite tender, particularly around um, East Cape, Stato 35. We've got restrictions in place there. Crews have worked really hard to get roads open where they can. Um, and then obviously overnight we've had impacts to the South Island. So we've got two road closures uh, south of Timaru on State Highway 1. Yeah. We've got a section closed there and also State Highway 2 between Waimati and Waihoa Downs. I, you know, mate, I saw uh, photographs of, I think it was some of the Coromandel slips that had happened there, and I know there's a few you know, communities over the other side uh, of, um, of Coromandel that would be cut off there. When you get uh, a lot of slips uh, around, um, j- just tell me, how long does it normally take you to clean up those ones that go the whole way across the road, and should people plan for you know, going other ways? Well, definitely people should plan. I mean, certainly we've had the, the weather we've had and the impact and it's been sort of continuous. Um, there is obviously going to be um, disruptions to travel, so we just advise people to check before they go. But our crews know where some of the vulnerable areas are, so they've got all the equipment ready to, to get in and deal with it. Uh, some of those small slips, um, it's not too hard to, to clear it up and get some truckloads of dirt away and get at least one lane open. But we always have to bear in mind the safety factor. So we need geotechnical engineers who can go and do the full assessment just to make sure there's not a bigger problem uh, further up the slope or, you know, um, make, make an assessment in terms of the safety for all road users. Are there any roads that you're looking at that are drivable at the moment that you're going, OK, we can drive on these, but I just need to keep an eye on this area? Oh, certainly uh, Stadaway 35 around the east coast. That's uh, very vulnerable, particularly the, uh, the washout we had by the Motu River. So that's um, east of Oporiki. Uh, crews have worked really hard to reinstate one temporary track through there, one lane. Uh, but there's still quite a bit of work to go on. And of course, they need the dry weather to be able to uh, complete the work through there. So we just advise people to check before you go and certainly allow extra time for your journey. And please just drive to the conditions with this current winter weather we've seen. Um, if we can just talk about Auckland here for a second, which hasn't had the you know the rain uh, of other areas, but it's been a lot of wind there, and I know a lot of listeners like to head over the Auckland Harbour Bridge to buy biltong. Um, tell me about this. Is there a wind watch for the Harbour Bridge today? Um, I'm not sure about today, but certainly our crews are well aware of uh, what the weather forecast is. You know, we're we're hooked in with Met Service in terms of what they're predicting. And as soon as it looks like um, we've got predicted high winds and they've got a plan they'll put in place, we'll only close the bridge if they absolutely have to, because we know that has a major impact upon people travelling in and around the Auckland region. But certainly safety is our first priority. So if it gets to those trigger levels, then they'll start to close the bridge until they deem it safe to reopen. It seems to be happening quite a bit on the Harbour Bridge. I mean, is it, this is what, climate change in action, isn't it, by the look of it? It certainly depends on the direction and the strength of the wind, and I think we have seen quite a bit of excessive wind you know, over the last couple of years since we had that incident, so it's really um, you know, brought to the fore that I think we're seeing the impacts right across New Zealand with the different types of weather, be it wind, rain, snow, ice. Um, it certainly is having a big impact. Mark, would you advise um, people in any particular region to work from home today if they can? Uh, well, certainly, I think people, if they do need to travel, just check before you go as to whether your route's open. And some of those areas that have been absolutely saturated. Um, if you don't need to travel, you know, the advice would be um, think about what your options are. But our crews are working hard to get the roads open where we can. And if you do have to drive, please just be mindful that um, while it might have stopped raining, there's probably still a lot of surface water, potential for debris. And, of course, our crews are out there working really hard, so the safety them is just as important. So if you see those temporary speed limits or work signs, please slow down and just be extra cautious.
Well, uh, Mark, thank you very much uh, for keeping us safe. Uh, you and the entire team too of Waka Kultahi when you see those lights uh, that are out there on the uh, trucks. They're out there helping us all. Uh, but yeah, please be careful as well and hopefully there'll be some relief soon for those areas that are being cut off by uh, slips and what have you. Now, Pete has written in about the avocado story. Uh, how do we get through as many avocados? By the sounds of it, of course, the Aussies can't send them here. So that means we might get cheaper avocados here, everybody. Let's get eaten. Good work, millennials. You can buy a house again. Um, but Pete says, try a few drops of sesame oil on your avo. You, I like you, Pete. The old sesame oil, it's a little bit sneaky, that, isn't it? You can overdo it a little bit, though. It's beautiful. Jane in Tiawamutu says, uh, Vogel's toasted, real butter, avocado, hot, oh, was this homemade hot lime pickle? Most delicious. I'm looking through the glass at Jeremy. Jeremy, you're a, you're our bottling pickling person. Are you a hotline pickler? Okay, he's going to have a go at that. We'll try it too. Morning Report is next with Susie and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have yourself a wonderful day, a dry day, and we'll be back in your ears. Ah, poor, poor.